Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Well, tonight what I want to do in just the next few moments is I want to talk to you on the cross and healing. The cross and healing. Because I think we're all very, very confident and very assured that the cross has everything to do with our forgiveness, with the forgiveness of sin. But what a lot of people aren't as sure is that the cross has everything to do with healing as much as it does with forgiveness. A lot of people have the tendency to think of the two as, well, you know, at the cross, Jesus accomplished for us the forgiveness of our sin, and then God wants to heal people, but we don't see it as, we don't see God as committed to healing as we do to his forgiving. And it's because we don't understand the cross. We've gotten to a point in really Christianity, and we're going to talk in just a moment about how we wound up at this place, but at a place in Christendom where healing is not necessarily viewed as an essential part of the salvation covenant. But I want to just encourage you tonight, it's very much a part. And sometimes what happens is when we don't understand what's in the contract, we don't exercise the terms. I mean, four years ago, I had, I'm so thankful that iPhones last longer now. I mean, four years ago, they were a lot more breakable, and, and uh, I put one in my back pocket, and it kind of, it snapped the glass. didn't kind of, it snapped the glass. And so I was putting up with it, and it was going along, and eventually, it just, it just fried. And so I was using a burner phone because I was waiting for my contract. It was a big, long thing. And so I get my, I get my, uh, new phone, and I don't think my old phone is worth anything, and then I threw it away. Because, I mean, it was totally, if you'd have seen it, it was smashed. And so I'm changing over the insurance, and the lady, she says, uh, what are you gonna do with your old phone? I said, what do you mean? And she said, oh, you got really good insurance on this phone. I said, really, like, what would you do? She said, we totally reconditioned the phone. I mean, my heart just sinks, because that's like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, are you serious? I mean, no, it was really messed up. It was like, she's like, no, we would have totally replaced it, done everything. And I was like, oh, cotton pick it, snap. I didn't read the contract. You know, when you don't know what's in the contract, when you don't know what's there, then you're not going to exercise it, right? And so tonight, I want to pick us up at verse 9 in Acts chapter 4. This is a story we were looking at on Sunday morning where Peter says this, talking about the man who was healed, the paralytic who was healed. If we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what, man's this man, by what means this man has been healed? The Greek word there for healed is the word sozo, S-O-Z-O. And it's used a hundred times, over a hundred times in the Greek New Testament. When I say Greek New Testament, the New Testament was written in the common language of the day, which in the Roman Empire was Greek. And so that was the, the language that across the empire was spoken. So the New Testament's written in Greek, translated then into various languages at various times. 
The word in the Greek that's used there is the word sozo, and it's a very interesting word because in the New Testament, it's translated 50 times as saved. It's translated 36 times as save. It's translated one time each as save and saving. It's translated as healed, get well, made well, recover, restore, cured, made whole. There's a lot of different terms over 17 times, or 17 times at least, it's translated in one of those ways. It's often translated as salvation. But when we're talking about salvation, we're talking about more than the forgiveness of sin. We're talking about, when we're talking about salvation, we're talking about the redemptive act of God in our life, what he does. And when it comes to God's redemptive act, there are three aspects of it. One would be the forgiveness of sin. One, the, another aspect would be his deliverance as he delivers us from the powers of darkness. Another would be healing. Those are what you might call three realms of the kingdom. For example, in Romans chapter 14 and verse 17, Paul says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. These are the, the three realms within the kingdom. Three things that you and I receive when we're a part of the kingdom. First of all, there is righteousness. That deals with the sin issue as he removes our sin from us and gives us right standing before God. So that when God looks at you, you may not feel very righteous, but if you're a child of God, he sees you as being as righteous as Jesus because you're clothed with his righteousness. That's one aspect. That's not the whole thing. A lot of people have a tendency to believe that's the whole package. That's a wonderful part of the package. That's a very important part of the package. That's a valuable part of the package. It's just not all the package. There's also peace. Peace deals with the deliverance and the torment issue. So that you can have people who are under attack from the enemy and God has provided peace. That's a, part, that's a part of what he's given us through the cross. That you can have the peace of God. That you can have the presence of God covering your heart, covering your mind. That you can have the peace of God, the presence of God that shields you in a very real sense from the attack of the enemy, the torment of the enemy. I mean, in 1 John chapter uh, 5, it says, and the evil one cannot touch us. How's that possible? Right there. And then another one would be joy, which deals with healing because joy is the expression of healing. Laughter is a good medicine, right? I mean, the response, I mean, when this paralytic is healed, what happens? He's leaping, he's dancing, he's jumping up and down, he's filled with joy. The kingdom is a matter of joy and joy is the result of God's healing power in somebody's life. Somebody gets healed, they are overwhelmed with joy. When we get saved, we have access 
to salvation, and salvation gives us righteousness, it gives us peace, and it gives us joy. Healing is in the atonement. It's part of what Jesus achieved for us on the cross. This is, this is stated in the Old Testament. It's stated in the New Testament. In Isaiah chapter 53, but he, that's Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. So here again, you have iniquities, that's our sin. You have peace. I mean, do you see the threefold, again, the idea of righteousness, peace, and joy? And with his stripes, we are healed. When Jesus died on the cross, he purchased righteousness for you, peace for you, healing for you. It's part of, as surely as when you call on the Lord and you're saved, in that saving of you, there is also the healing for you. The problem is a lot of Christians don't understand that. And even as I say it, a lot of people aren't sure they believe it. Because we've not been taught it. Because we don't think about it. Because we are inappropriately concerned about people's forgiveness, their standing with God, so that they might be born again, which is certainly a wonderful, wonderful thing that, that is necessary, but a part of what God does when he delivers us, when he saves us, is he does forgive us, but he also heals us. He said, I'm the Lord who heals you. That's one of his names, Jehovah Rapha. It's what God does. It's who he is. When people are walking with him in the wilderness for those 40 years, he was their healer in the wilderness. You see it again in the New Testament, the same thought. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins, live for righteousness. By his wounds, watch this, you have been healed. It's there. You have received it already. Now, let me show you how the word saved is used or sozo is used in the gospel. So you come to a story like Matthew chapter 9 and verse 21. This is the woman with the issue of blood. She, Jesus is, is surrounded by a massive crowd of people. The synagogue ruler has come and said, my daughter is dying. Please come and heal her as he's headed to her house to do that. It's at Capernaum. This woman who has a flow of blood, it, she goes through the crowd. She says to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. If only I touch his cloak, I will be saved. Saved from what? This sickness I have. It's the word sozo. I'll be healed. That, that flow of blood will stop. I'll be made whole. And the idea of being made whole is the idea she senses that not only is she going to be healed physically, but there is something that's going to happen to her spiritually. How do we know that? Look at the next verse. Jesus turned, saw her, said, take heart, daughter. He said, your faith, and here's the way a lot of uh, translations read it, and I think a very good translation is, your faith has made you whole. Yes. Yeah. 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 Good. Come on. 
In other words, her encounter with Christ did more than heal her physically, though it did heal her physically. It touched her spiritually. It, it birthed in her a faith in the living God that was saving in nature. So the idea is, is healed you. You could, you could translate it several ways, but salvation includes healing. And the woman was healed. She was saved from her sickness. She was made whole from that moment on. But implied in here is the idea that, that there is a wholeness that, that not only touches her physically, it touches her spiritually because that is what salvation is intended to do. Well, you can look at Mark chapter 6 and verse 56. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. Again, they were, they were saved. All who touched him were saved. What does that mean? They were made whole. They were healed of physical illness. I mean, salvation includes all those things. Go to James chapter 5. We pray for the sick on, on Sunday mornings. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save. That's what it is. We'll save the one who is sick. We'll deliver the one who is sick. We'll heal the one who is sick. We'll make whole the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Do you see what happens? Now, the idea is that as you're coming forward in that setting, you're exposed to the presence of God. As you're exposed to the presence of God, there are many commentators that will say that a part of what is happening here, because the very next verse says, therefore confess your sins one to another. What happens is you get in the presence of God. And what happens when you're in the presence of God? Peter's in the presence of God in the boat. He gets this miracle catch. And he says, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. Luke 5. There's something about the presence of God that reveals sin in the life of individuals. So you're coming forward and two things I think are assumed that in not every case, but in some cases, the cause behind the sickness is sin. This is just true. I mean, Jesus, when he heals the, the uh, paralytic at the pool of Bethsaida, and when he does that, when he heals him, the guy gets up and walks. Jesus comes back to him just a few verses later, I think it's like in verse 12, and he, he finds him, and Jesus says to him, stop sinning so that something worse doesn't happen to you. Sometimes what happens is people open the door through sin in their life to the power of the enemy in their life that brings sickness. And so when you're in the presence of the Lord, the idea is now that he's healed you, make sure you deal with the root cause of what brought about that sickness. And I'm convinced people don't have to think too hard to figure that thing out in their life. 
That if you ask somebody, hey, are there things going on in your life that shouldn't be going on? Stop it. This is why I think when people are praying for the sick, there has to be a sensitivity because sometimes there, there is an opportunity to do very similarly to what Mykon did and to say, why are you running from God? That word can set somebody free spiritually and result in physically them receiving healing. Are you with me on this? This is all implied there. Therefore, confess your sins one to another. It's not like, oh, hey, let's stand up and all confess our sins. That's, that's chaos. That's not what James is saying. He's saying you're in the presence of God and you realize that there's bitterness that you've been carrying in your heart that has resulted in illness. And I'm going to tell you much of illness, doctors will tell you, has to do with what goes on in people's minds. And he's saying, listen, if you're there in the presence of the Lord and you realize, you know what, I've got unforgiveness, then you need to go take care of that. If, you're, if you've been wronging your mate, you need to go make it right. That's what James is talking about. Again, this idea that salvation affects all of us. It, it affects our, our, our soul, our, our spirit. It affects our body physically. It has redemptive effect all the way around. Sozo is also used to deliver people from demonic activity in their life. So an extreme example would be Luke chapter eight, verse 35. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, 6,000 demons. The, the man says, our name is Legion, for we are many. That's when Jesus is talking to the demon. He's sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. They were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured, had been sozoed had been saved, had been healed, had been delivered. Again, the idea, made whole, he was made right. He was touched spiritually, he was touched physically, he was set free. It's all tied up in the idea of what God wants to do in somebody's life. But there, it has the idea of a person being delivered from demonic activity. Now let me say this, and, and this is gonna be controversial for some, but if you'll listen and you'll think it through and you won't default to, to um, theology that is either A, not biblically based, or theology that is, uh, I think at times this whole subject has been taught in a way that, that is, is not biblically accurate and is counter it has a, it's counterproductive to people walking in a freedom and in a sensitivity to what God is doing in their life and, and what, what they are doing in their life, what they're allowing in their life. When it says demon-possessed, that, you know, people have a, a tendency to want to categorize demonic activity as well. Some people are demon-possessed demon and some are demon-oppressed and then some aren't oppressed, but they, they, the enemy's attacking them. The Bible doesn't make any of that differentiation. The Bible uses one word for demonic activity, daimonizomai, demonized. So, you know, can somebody have, can a believer have demonic activity that leads to an oppression in their life? 
The answer is absolutely 100% yes. Now, let, let me just help you think this through a little bit because some people, that's like, I thought there, I could, that, that could never happen. You know what? Believers can make decisions that open the door to the enemy's activity in their life. Straight up, the Bible teaches that very clearly. You go to Ephesians chapter four. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Listen, if you, are, you, you have a big blow up with somebody, you don't make it right. You let the sun go down. You've now let that thing cook. Here's what you've done. You've not only made difficulty in the relationship in terms of just humanly relation, the relationship, but you've allowed the enemy an opportunity to get a foothold in your life and to begin operating. We could go to James 3 and it could talk, we could talk about bitterness and how, how bitterness is demonic wisdom. You talk to people who are bitter and you say, why are you bitter? They have a rationale. Well, I'm bitter because of X and X, they did this and this. Do you realize that's demonic wisdom? And if you function with demonic wisdom, you're giving the enemy a foothold. You're allowing the enemy to have activity in your life. And there is a place in that for you to be set free from that. And it comes through the cross. It's a part of salvation. There are people who make, who make uh, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest this. I was talking with the students about this a, a few weeks ago. We did a little Q&A. And just... In my observation, I think there are three areas where people open the door to the devil in a big way in their life. One would be when they abuse substances. So drug abuse, in fact, the root word, uh, pharmakeia, is translated as sorcery. So there's a real, once you alter your conscious state, you are opening yourself up to the enemy's influence because Consciousness is a protection for your spirit, for your life, so that you can process things lest the enemy begins to run your mind. I'm trying to scare anybody. If, you've, if you've, you're with somebody or you know somebody who's, who's messing with drugs and, and whatever it is, listen, I'm just saying it's one of the big reasons to stay away from that because you're opening the door to the enemy. In your altered state of consciousness, you are allowing the enemy to get a foothold. Praise God that, that in salvation, a part of the salvation contract, the fine print is deliverance, right? Peace. But people can open the door to demonic activity that way. People can open the door to demonic activity through sexual sin. So that what happens is, and it's not a devil made me do it. It's just that when people open the door to sexual sin, what happens, they're sinning against their own body. As we saw, Paul said a, a few weeks ago, he, they're, they're allowing that and they're allowing, they're allowing demonic activity in their life. Hey, hey, listen, honestly, somebody, one of the students asked this question. I thought it was a really good question. They said, well, at what point does, you know, we realize that pornography can rewire the brain and et cetera, et cetera. So at what point does it become demonic? I said, it be, it's demonic from the get-go. It's just that, it's just that it ultimately becomes super obvious when you have 
child pornography and you have a 50-year-old man with, a, with an infant. I mean, we all can clearly say that's horribly demonic. But it's demonic at the start because it's Satan way, Satan's way of bringing. So there's, there's substance abuse, there's pornography, which again, porneia, that whole idea in, in the New Testament times was a part of temple worship. It was a part of, of really worshiping demon beings through sexual activity. So I'm not far off in saying and, and drawing the line to that because I think the Bible clearly does. And then I think the third area has to do with bitterness. Where people, where people justify offense. I'm not in any way minimizing the hurt somebody's done to you. I'm just simply suggesting to you that how you respond to it can either allow demonic activity in your life in an increasing way as you give voice to bitterness and as you give rationale to bitterness. And that, that really, in some sense, solidifies demonic activity in your life. Or you say, I'm not going to do that. I'm gonna embrace the wisdom from above, which loves peace, which forgives, and God empowers us to do that. Are you with me on that? So we have to be careful about that. But again, the, the, the cross offers deliverance. Yes. Yes. And I would suggest there are, there are Christians who need to be set free from demonic activity in their life that is as basic as they have a red hot temper and, and the enemy is ruining their life through it. So, that would be another way. It can also be used of raising the dead. Um, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus. Again, this is the synagogue ruler. The woman with the issue of blood's been healed. Somebody comes up and says, your daughter's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, and she'll be raised from the dead. She'll be sozo. She'll be saved. She'll be healed. She'll be made whole. She's dead. When you're dead, you're not whole. So she'll be, her condition will be changed. The idea, the idea is that there's power to do that in a person's situation and circumstance. You say, why don't most churches teach this? And honestly, just to give you a little, I'm gonna take you down too long a history path, but I think it's important for you to know why it's not taught on a wholesale basis. In the first three centuries of the church, it was. You can read early church father writings and you can read the history of the church and believers prayed and saw healing happen regularly. But then what happened was when, when Jerome, uh, one of the early church fathers, and he was in Bethlehem actually at the church there, he was down in an in a underground chamber, he translated, again, the Greek New Testament, he translated it into Latin. And that's called the Vulgate, the Latin Vulgate Bible. And he took the word sozo and he changed it to salvo, to salvation. He changed it, he, he took the word and gave it a more limited meaning. 
for 1500 years then, that becomes pretty much the Latin Bible was the Bible of the people. And, and it began to change in the Reformation and you know, with Martin Luther in 1500 and, and began to change as it was translated into German. But the, the intent of the Latin was kept. As well, in the 12th century, you had uh, the Catholic Church look at, at an anointing with oil, which was at that point the primary way that people, if they were prayed for for healing, were prayed for. But there was a concern that the laity was doing things without knowing what they were doing. And so they transferred, by the way of sacraments, the anointing to the role of the priest. Now you can look this up, this is all true. So that there were seven sacraments and the anointing then became a part of last rites and that's how anointing was used and it was limited and it was not until the Vatican Council, Vatican II, that the Roman Catholic Church came back and said, well, we're going to restore the idea of healing through the anointing and that was really in a response to what? Azusa Street in 1906, when, when the Spirit of God came down on that mission in, in LA, and it, I mean, it created the Pentecostal church and the move, the Spirit-filled move of God that has honestly evangelized the world. And, and the Pentecostals really were the ones, and then followed by the Charismatics, who began to champion the idea of God heals. And so healing over the course of the 20th century grew and grew and grew. And so the, the middle of the 20th century, you had all these faith healers. You had people like Oral Roberts. You had these different people. And you can say what you want. People at times are, are um, more influenced by secular newspaper accounts than they are by the reality of what went on in those meetings, whether it was Catherine Kuhlman, Oral Roberts, different people who were genuinely used by God to bring healing to their generation, to renew this. And so now what you have is you have, you have quadrants of the Pentecostal church that acknowledge healing, but don't practice healing. And the reason why is because they're weak on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You're never gonna, you're never gonna pray much for healing unless people are full of the Spirit. I'm just telling you, that's the truth. And you're not gonna pray with a lot of effect unless people are full of the Holy Spirit because there's no power to do it. But all of it goes together and all of it is part in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit energizes the work of God in us and through us to the, the spreading of the gospel via signs and wonders in the preaching. Are you with me? That's how that, that's how that all works. So, to just summarize here, because we're gonna pray here, we're gonna take communion. I'm gonna ask you to grab your communion, in fact, right now. Healing and deliverance is as much a part of the atonement as being forgiven of your sins. And listen, I'm not saying that you can't pray for somebody if you've not been filled with the Holy Spirit and see them healed. I would never want somebody to think that. I'm just saying that the more you walk in the Spirit, and the more you, you walk in the power of the Spirit, the more you're gonna see the Spirit of God do through you. That's just true. And to anybody who says, well, you know, I know somebody who's filled with the Spirit and I don't see much, you know, that, how do you know how full they are of the Spirit? I mean, the litmus test is power, right? That's the litmus test. It's not tongues, it's power. I'm all for tongues, but the litmus test 
is power. If you don't have power, you don't have all of the infilling of the Spirit you need. If you don't have power to do what Mikewan did and go to somebody you don't know and talk to him about Jesus, you don't have power. Let's, I mean, let's, let's quit playing games. Let's quit making excuses. Let's just say, I either I've got power or I don't have power. It's very simple. It's not, this is not rocket science. But Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll do what? You'll be my witnesses. Very simple. This is, not, this is not complicated at all. I'm not saying it's easy. In fact, apart from the Spirit of God, it's very difficult. But if you have the Holy Spirit resting upon you, there's power, and that gives you power to witness, and that gives you a boldness to go to people. And then to, can you imagine seeing him for a second time and, and saying, why are you running from God? How did he know to say that? Remember what we talked about Sunday? In that moment, it won't be you speaking, it'll be the Spirit of God speaking to you. I mean, that's how that all works. That's, you know, he didn't sit there and think, I think he's running from God. He just, it just came out of him. Why, because he was, he was doing what, he was obeying the Spirit to the best he could, and the Spirit took over then. That's how it works. Now, as we come to the table of the Lord, healing is for you today. And I think one of the great, I think there are several opportunities in the life of the church for God to heal. I think one of them is Sunday morning, and there, there are people who are healed as they come forward for prayer. I mean, I have, I've had the Lord touch me on multiple occasions as I've come forward. Just seen him do it. Another opportunity is communion. Because when we're at communion, what are we doing? We are holding two elements, the bread and the cup, that symbolize what he did for us. What did he do for us? Righteousness. This is my body, which is for you. He laid down his righteous life, taking upon our unrighteousness and died for unrighteousness that we might live in his righteousness, symbolized in the, in the bread. That's what this, this is about. The cup, the new covenant in his blood, the fine print, forgiveness of sins, absolutely. That's in there, but also peace the power over darkness, the authority over darkness. It's, it's in the cup. Yep. Healing. Yes. He, I believe God heals people during communion. Tonight, you might need healing at, at one of the campuses or watching online. You might need healing tonight. I believe you can say, Jesus, I believe. And I hope that faith rises in your heart as we talk about all this, that you see how much it is a part. Because once you know it's something that is as natural for God to do in your life as it would be if you said, Jesus, forgive me of my sin, it would be, we would all say, well, it would be natural God would do that, right? If you said, Jesus, heal this person, heal me, it'd be natural for him to do that. Healing is in the atonement, right? Let's stand right now. And so we're going to take the cup. We're going to partake of the cup and the bread together. We're going to take the bread first. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your righteousness that you've made available to us. Through the righteous life of your son, Jesus, laid down for us as he bore our unrighteousness on the cross. That we might be clothed in his righteousness. 
Lord, I thank you that you made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. And so we hold the bread with that thanksgiving, that attitude of, of, of amazement that you would reach out and make a way for sinful people to have right standing with you. And Lord, I thank you. I'm reminded of what you did for us, for me. By living a righteous life, perfectly spotless, tempted in every way as we are yet without sin for 33 years, you never sinned. You were perfectly righteous, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect life. And when I'm clothed in your righteousness, God views me as being as spotless as you are. So Lord, I thank you for that, for the means by which I stand in the presence of God. Would you partake of the bread? And then we have, we have the cup. And the cup is the new covenant in his blood and everything about it, by his stripes, we were healed. In the Old Testament, it's we are healed. In the New Testament, we were healed. It's happened. It was purchased at Calvary for you. We've been healed. Healing is there for you. Along with forgiveness, it's there for you. Along with peace, it's there for you. I don't know what you need tonight. You know, though. Right now, would you tell the Lord what you need and just say, Lord, I thank you. You provided that in the cup and then we'll partake together. Would you tell him right now what you need? Father, we partake of the cup tonight with great thanksgiving, with gratitude for what you've given us. Lord, there's no question in my mind, one second in heaven will be overwhelmed by all that was accomplished at Calvary through your death. We'll be overwhelmed at your incredible generosity, all that is ours as joint heirs with Jesus. We'll be overwhelmed by your power, your love, your provision for us. And Lord, this cup symbolizes that. And we just thank you for that. And tonight there's people who need healing. In the name of Jesus, I pray as they in faith drink, believing that a part of salvation is healing, that Father, they would be healed in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you'd heal cancer in the name of Jesus. I pray that tonight, Lord, you would heal people who have trauma to their head, who have suffered from strokes or migraines or have suffered some debilitating issue in their brain for people who are struggling with MS. In the name of Jesus, heal them, I pray. Oh God, I pray for those who have autoimmune issues, Lord, heal them in the name of Jesus tonight. Lord, may they drink with faith and receive healing that comes 
from you alone. I pray tonight, Lord, for those who have foot problems. Lord, they're, they're plagued by a problem in their foot that will not go away. There's healing in the name of Jesus for that. I pray that you would heal them in Jesus' name. Oh, Lord, I pray, Father, for the one tonight who has a liver that is not functioning right. Lord, there's something wrong there. There's healing in the name of Jesus. You can make a whole liver. You can, you can recreate, Lord, what is not right or what is missing in the name of Jesus. I pray that, God, you would do that. Father, we thank you. Lord, there's so many other things that we could mention, but Lord, we mentioned those tonight just in your presence. Along with everything else, we thank you for your healing power. And Lord, we drink recognizing it's a fellowship with you. It's a participation in what you've done. We're participating in what you accomplished. Lord, we're a part of what you've accomplished. And Father, thank you that you provided this means for us to have that relationship, that interaction with you, that, that communion with you. And so, Lord, we partake with thanksgiving and with devotion in the name of Jesus. Would you partake right now?